This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. To you who joins us here on Kelly and Ramia, and it's a pleasure to be with you as we spend the next two hours together getting through some fantastic, inclusive content on the show. I'm Ramia Amadin here in Toronto at the AMI studios with this set behind us that we've been describing to the audience uh, throughout the week because it's been nice, it's new to us, and so we want to share with you. I sit behind a white oblong table in the shape of a pretty long uh, surfboard and behind me is the set with the curtain that has the display of the Canadian or <laughs> I did this again Toronto skyline the downtown skyline in Toronto as well as pillars physical pillars that are tall and rectangular and lit up in purple and white over to London Ontario for Kelly McDonald to introduce a little bit about his set hello Good day, good day all. Hope everybody's having a grand Thursday. And I am today sitting here with, of course, the normal fedora on today, a black one, uh, a multicolored dress shirt on, sitting here with some circles and a, a variety of colors. Uh, behind me, our, our backdrop, the CN Tower over my left shoulder, and it's the outline of the uh, skyline of uh, Toronto. So uh, messing around with that stuff just to kind of mm. bring you that feel of what, what, what we're all about here and ready to rock and roll a Thursday edition. Now, you said you were wearing a colorful shirt, Kels. Is that, uh, do you enjoy color? Do you enjoy color in your fashion? Um, I can't see it enough anymore, right? Mm -hmm. well, it used to be great for picking out a shirt. Oh, this shirt. I, I Now I go a lot by touch. Um, and I remember as a kid, I'd get confused because I'd have dress shirts in my closet and I'd also have pajamas. And I remember one time grabbing a pajama shirt and going out and <laughs> mom looking at me and saying, and what are you doing that for? And I said, what? It's my well, why are you wearing statement. the pajama shirt? Well, then I got all paranoid. Any dress shirt that didn't have a pocket, this one doesn't have one on the front, on the breast pocket, and I would get all panicked. Hey, it's a pajama shirt, and it still <laughs> lingers. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Uh, moms kind of ruin things for you because I, I remember the same thing. Like, I used to have just favorite clothes, right? This is my favorite top, or, or when I get something new, I'd wear it all the time. And then my mom's like, you know, it's got a big rip in it. But I had no clue, and who knows how long it's been on. And she's like, time to toss it. Um, but yeah. it, it scars you, like, those experiences. Well, I have, and sometimes you're silly, and you go and yeah. put it back in because you don't want to part with it. You, well, I I, there's got to be another use. I'll wear it just around home, and next time you'll be out again. I see you got that ripped shirt on again. What, yeah. what mom? Yeah, so many stories like that. But I ask because I'm wearing a gray knitted sweater today um, and I love wearing my grays and blacks. So I'm trying to get more color in because, you know, it pops. It pops. Yeah. Well, I think I, I tend to like the stuff that just tends to match more. And especially sure. if I try throwing hats in, sometimes you hit. Sometimes you don't. Mm -hmm. Well, we have two hours to hang out with our friends who are joining us. So let's find out what's coming up on the show. Our bestie in the UK, Fern Lullum, is going to join us for her appearance, and she's talking about her journey and progress becoming a counsellor. 
We made a recent switch in our schedule, ladies and gentlemen. Well, what it means is we'll be able today to talk about what's trending in food and beverage in 2023 as Mary Mammolini joins us again for her weekly segment. She's from Kitchen Confession, and we have our normal segment that we'll get to today. Something that hasn't changed is the weekly roundtable that Kelly McDonald will facilitate later on in hour two. And John Melville, our VP of Content Development and Programming at AMI, is going to be our guest for today. Mm. That's a surprise content during that conversation. Before we exit out and get into our first guest, let's talk about a couple things. One person mm -hmm. has been seriously injured after explosions and a fire at a hazardous waste facility in St. Catharines, Ontario. We know the patient is conscious, but has received significant burns. It was a, a gentleman that was working there. Um, we don't know how he received the burns. We just know upon arrival he had significant burns. EMS transported him. That was Fire Chief Dave Upper, and he says crews responded to a working fire at Sonics Products just after 6.30 a.m. this morning. Uh, it spread to an industrial building to its east, and Upper says that the man who he was talking about was the only person injured at the time of the explosions. Kelly, this is terrifying for me. Now, I don't know, mm. I've never really calculated my fear for fires, but I just, when I think of hazardous things going on, whether it be residential neighborhoods or anytime you hear a siren um, when you're at home or on the way to something, I just, my imagination goes wild as to what is going on, who may be hurt, are they getting uh, the attention that they need, and it's terrifying when we get the details like this. Yeah, at the best of times, I hate hearing a siren because, you know, no, it's something not good. Uh, hopefully things work out and, and it's not too bad and people are just being precautionary. But when you hear multitudes of them, um, have you ever heard a, a, an explosion? No, I have not, no. other than television. You okay. have, right? Um, I have. I've, I've been around for controlled blasts from a, a building being taken down in an implosion. Mm -hmm. I've also heard tires explode from fires. Um, and, and especially when I was doing blindsided, we shot some things where there were a couple of times where things exploded while we were while we were doing the show, which was meant to be. And I, re, I I've recently there was a, a, an issue in a parking garage nearby where cars were on fire. So some explosions uh, of tires happened there. Ever felt an earthquake? No, not even that. We've had earthquakes, wow. so I've never felt it. Right there in Toronto, yes. when we had an office on the third floor, uh, I remember being at my desk there, and one day it felt like the building was dancing, and that was a tremor. We were sitting there, and you could, oh, what, what is that? Yeah. People saying, and it was just, and yet some of us knew, oh, it's an earth tremor. Others were really stymied. So uh, all that, just to add up to say, yeah, very unsettling. Yeah. It, the Hearing things um, on clips, like news clips and such, it doesn't do justice to actually being there and experiencing the tremors or even as people describe firsthand how they mm. felt when things e go on. Even with them recording everything yes. now. And nowadays you get almost firsthand from yeah. uh, dash cams or people's cells. Yeah, but not much. Taking a break now and coming back with Mike Fair because he's featuring the newest installment of the Chillin' and Sixpence series after the break on Kelly and Remia. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Audio 
entertainment and accessible technology are increasingly important in our lives. I'm Mike Fair, here to help you make the most out of your devices. We'll share tech tips and product reviews. Plus, I'll steer you towards the best accessible games, audio dramas, and podcasts. We'll talk about it all here on Kelly and Ramya. So, Mike, you bring a ton to the show, a plethora of things. Audio entertainment is pretty much anything and everything. And we've talked uh, gamings, audiobooks, uh, audio dramas, all kinds of companies doing inclusive audio experiences for the community. So it's nice to have you back. Hello. And Michael's hey. book. And Michael's book, too. Yeah. Yes. Well, oh, <laughs> tech is a whole nother realm. Now that book has spawned a course, which has taken over good swaths of time. Amazing. Yeah, you're all over social and always connecting with people, Mike, so it's nice to have you as a resource on the show. Longtime listeners may remember that, Michael, you told us about Chilling and Sixpence Investigate. Um, Big Finish recently released a second of the series called Chilling and Sixpence Series 2. How fitting. In loving memory. So give us a refresher on uh, the first one. What makes Chilling, Chilling and Sixpence unique? Well, it all started uh, quite a long time ago. They've been doing this for years and years. Uh, it basically is a group of actors that travel on to different venues in London, and that can be unusual, everything from pubs to t- train stations to all kinds of different places where they perform uh, these theatrical sort of uh, productions about these characters that they've developed uh, basically uh, in this setting uh, the, the characters Shilling and Sixpence are the main two, and they're kind of a, a couple that are d- kind of de- have become detectives, they, uh, and they kind of get into all kinds of mystery solving, fun, and different things like that. And uh, so it, it's really neat. The Big Finish discovered these uh, these this acting uh, phenomenon and brought these people in and said, "Hey, what about doing like a, a more formal kind of audio drama series?" And so they did a first series as one of their originals. And uh, it really, I thought, was one of the better ones. Uh, And uh, now, thankfully, I have a second dose. They brought it back for a second series. Hmm. So, Mike, are there differences between the Big Finish sets and what you would experience if you were at one of the live performances? Yeah, the live performances are much more kind of, there's more room for ad-libbing, and there's they tend to veer into more sort of risque comedy and uh, supernatural heavy kind of plots whereas as big mm-hmm. finish uh tend to be a bit darker a bit uh, a bit um, a bit more restrained uh in some ways uh but also uh more uh, of course the polish of of uh, you you're able to edit what you say the polish of soundscaping professional sound design and music you know, it's they get all of those assets brought in uh, because of, of the Big Finish connection. So it's it's an interesting dichotomy. It definitely is. I'm, I'm curious about, um, you know, what makes that difference. Now, I'm having troubles with my script. So what else do you want to talk about? Well, uh, th- there's the main characters here. Uh, the two are uh, Desmond Schilling, who is a, uh, a, a basically a, an English teacher and uh, he has been sort of hired in the first series by uh, Miss Lavilia Sixpence, who is uh, the headmistress of a school for girls. So he's, he's teaching these girls. And through that association, uh, they start to encounter strange things that uh, are turned out to be mysteries and conspiracies in this small village of 
uh, uh, Morlington is, is the main setting. It's a small Cornish village, fictional. So there are all the characters are kind of based there. Uh, another main character is Inspector Arthur Cribbage. He's a local constable, kind of a country police detective uh, in a small village, and, and he, these conspiracies can uh, can range far beyond what a, a, a typical constable, a typical cop on the beat would experience. <laughs> so uh, he, those are the kind of the three main heroes, and you sort of follow them as they interact with all the different characters in the in the village and in other venues that they uh, they travel to. Okay, so where does the oh, new series cool. take us then, Mike? Well, the new series is a bit more expansive. Uh, it, bring, it starts in Mornington in, in, in a mine, as, as it happens, uh, with a grisly discovery of a skeleton. But it moves from there uh, off to London briefly and then uh, to a Scottish uh, castle, uh, Connaught Castle in Scotland, where the, finance, the, the kind of everything comes to a head and, and questions are answered and mysteries are are solved, so it's a bit more of a of a traveling journey than most uh, than the previous series uh, was, but uh, boy, uh, it's it's they're they're neat. All the all the work has has been excellent in terms of the sound and the and the setting. That's amazing. That really is. I find it interesting when you have a character like Cribbage, like you were saying a while ago, you have to have that character that gets around that, that is more, you know, you may say that wouldn't happen to a constable on the beat, but you need that for the effect of it too. And, and what things it allows you to do in places you can put that character. Mike, how long is the series? Well, the total series is about 265 minutes, but that includes about 40 minutes of extras and each track there are three different tracks each track is about an hour uh and and uh, 15 like an hour and a quarter we'll say and it's divided into two kind of sections that are roughly 40 or so minutes each 30 or 40 minutes so that all adds up to 265 minutes total of material that's not bad it's a very digestible length there eh? yeah it's it's short enough to be enjoyed as we did over an evening oh okay wow yeah so that is the great and you've kind of been comparing the the two, um, you know, the second series and the first one. So what's the overall tone of this series? Think of it like an afternoon movie for adults. Well, not a, it's not a kid's movie by any means. Uh, and, and, you know, there are some theme, themes discussed, mature themes and stuff. But everything is kind of, it doesn't get overly graphical with the sound and the gore. It's it, Everything has that kind of, almost a, a afternoon movie quality uh, is, is what I tend to think of it. So uh, it's, it's, it, it can get dark in places, but there are a lot of laughs, a lot of comedy as well. Okay. You, you notice, Michael, one of the things that I think when we ask you the question, which we will get into the sound and the music, but nowadays when we talk about these things, because sound is, is so important to these and everybody is, when you create something, using it, we're more talking about, how much we all know about ambience making it feel really good like when you have headsets on you're there or on, or on a sound system that's the the target to, to make someone be able to enjoy it like that if you're not using some fancy sound system or, or something or headsets you still can and have fun with it but wow it's more like a more or less was there a lot of music wasn't there did they utilize it well and sound is almost a given so we'll ask you of course what did you think of sound and music Matt, uh, Nigel, Nigel Ferris did a really good job of uh, of the sound design. He did a lot, and he wrote 
uh, the, the series, helped write, helped produce, and did the sound design and acted. Uh, it's just crazy what he managed to do. And it, the sound is really enveloping. It, it draws you in. Uh, you know, as I say, kind of a TV quality rather than a movie sort of enveloping quality, but really kind of nicely handled and puts you right in the space. And uh, he did uh, really well with things like you get little flashbacks of audio that might not make sense where they're placed, but later on you realize, oh, that was what that was about. And they're kind of snuck in there. And then you have the ghostly narrator and, and the kind of echoey reverb mm-hmm. of that. And so it really gives it a supernatural bend that works really nicely through the whole thing. It was it was a masterful, masterful thing. Yeah, you kind of point at two things, right? Like, A, the quality of the production in terms of sound and, and music value, but then also making it seem mastered like the the whole performance kind of uh makes this what it is this is the product and this is how all the different sound elements play in that product like the the flashbacks and the different characters having their own sounds cool how was the acting the acting is fantastic uh, david warner uh played desmond Schilling, and uh unfortunately he passed away after the recording uh, he's a very famous oh. british actor and boy oh. those are big shoes whoever takes up the role after him boy i don't envy that's going to be tough mm. he did brilliantly with this and it, it might have been one of the last things he he recorded I, we, we don't know quite what what he was doing quite before he died but this was uh one of the things uh celia imry it was uh, great as lavinia sixpence reprising a role from the first uh series and doing a really nicely job nice job of that and uh, nigel fairs as uh, in- inspector Cri- uh, arthur cribbage uh, really good in in that role. All the casts were great. You have a big cast of suspects and and characters that come in and out and uh, add to the history. And all of them get, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of time on stage. Uh, Rebecca Criniers is another one uh, familiar from the first set. She played Peggy Pin, uh, the kind of maid servant, and really did a great job with that. Very distinctive uh, accent uh to, to hear and catch with that so very uh, charles dickens dickens style uh, which oh, i kind of liked man. so yeah yeah very not not one flood line it was great well it's amazing and i know we're talking production the post-production and a lot of time people recording not necessarily together or or whatever when it comes to what we can do today and these so talented actors being able to work with that and and not and just do things that people recording stuff years ago. No, no, you guys all got to be together. But when you think about all that talent, I know for probably some of the actors who may not have as much of a rep, that's a beautiful thing. I've, I've done enough theater where it's very flattering. It's very much a, a chance to learn from people with more experience. So, uh, you know, fedora's off to them. How good was the bonus material? We know you like that. Oh, gee, yeah. I always appreciate a good gallop of uh, bonus material. And we got a good 40 minutes worth that just flew by. It, we A lot of it was spent reminiscing on David Warner because, of course, he's now no longer with us. Uh, but there, there were also uh, lots to talk about in terms of the actor's experience recording and comparing uh, between... Because a lot of the actors, some of them, like uh, David Warner, were on for the big finish, but the, a lot of the rest of them were, were the actors that you'd hear in these performances over the past, like, 10, 15 years. So they have had... They offer their thoughts on the differences and the directions and, and of course, the hopes for a season three. Uh, I would cheerfully gobble that up. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask if you wanted a, a third season of this, do you think that they're actually going to put one together? 
I hope so. I, I mean, admittedly, it's going to sound different without uh, right. David Warner as as uh, Schilling, but it could. I'm sure there's some actor out there that can pull it off well. And they've done it with Sherlock Holmes uh, in one of my favorite series, and uh, not Big Finish specifically, but they pulled it off and it worked. Uh, so I'm hoping that we see more because it really is such a good universe, an interesting bunch of characters, still mm-hmm. lots of questions to be answered. So uh, yeah, I'm hopeful. So very much worth the $30 price. Absolutely, yes. It's it's a wonderful evening's uh, entertainment, about, about four hours. You could split that up into like two evenings, really. Um, right. You know, it's it's a it's a nice pace. It flies past. Uh, it, it's pretty much suitable for for you know. I wouldn't maybe younger kids, maybe not, but like teens, adults would be fine with it. Uh, there's a kind of restraint to relationships that uh, is, is common to sort of World War II era British uh, you know, programming. So they've kind of captured that that time well. Uh, in in the production, so mm. I, I it, it you know there's not much danger, there's not much cursing really, or anything like that. So uh, good, clean fun all around. And Big Finish is always up to something. So if we don't hear about the third uh, series of Shilling and Sixpence soon, we'll hear about something else. Mike, thank you so much mm-hmm. for your time. Absolute pleasure. Glad to be on this. Uh, that's Mike Fair with the review of Shilling and Sixpence Investigate. You can obtain this from the Big Finish website directly. Uh, it costs, what did he say, $27.66 Canadian on its own, but you can also purchase it with a bundle in the full series. Coming up next, we're talking to Fern Lullum. She's on her way to becoming a counselor. For, we'll find out more about that on Kelly and Ramya. something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. Lots to get into as we continue Kelly and Rumia until 4 p.m. Eastern time. You're tuned into us live on AMI-tv or AMI-audio. And as we get into that, uh, Kelly and I facilitate the conversations. I'm Rumia Amuthan joining you from Toronto, Kelly McDonald in London, Ontario. And he's going to tell us what we have next. Well, it's, of course, fun always when we have a visit from our bestie in the UK who joins us to talk about so many different things and kind of give us a peek as to what's going on. Welcome in, Fern Lullum. What's on your mind? I'm Fern Lullum from the UK, and whether serious, silly, or somewhere in between, I've got you covered. Let's face it, the most effective therapy is a chat with your bestie. So, um, Fern, before we went into our break, Ramya made a remark, but I'll get to that in just a second. Um, It was like news to me. Real cool, interesting news. But Happy New Year and welcome back to the show. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. And this is an exciting, shiny new show, right? (laughs) Yeah, somebody got the polish out, went to work after a couple of years, you know, and uh, said, well, guys, let's put some cameras in and around. So there's so many things like tapping our toe to the music and that we have to remember, oh, how much is my body bobbing? Not that we were getting dusty, though. <laughs> when you said a couple no. of years, I was like, wait a minute. No, no, the show, not us. No. Oh, that's okay. six plus years. There isn't okay. a spot of dust on us. Mm-mm. But let's get to good news, Fern. Um, what's going on in your world? Bring us up to speed. Well, I am training in the process of and almost completed to become 
a councillor. Yay. An actual councillor. Can you believe it? Somebody is giving me this much responsibility. It's amazing. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> now, okay, let's let's go back to you do a lot of different things from podcasting to uh, even to audio description, broadcaster, and all sorts of things that you've gotten involved in. What got you interested in counselling? Well, you know, I just thought I wasn't busy enough. I thought, what am I going to do with my days with all of those things that I've been doing? Basically, as you probably know already from my podcast, if you know, I'm sure you all listen to my podcast, Into You. Um, it's about the psychology of relationships and dating. If you don't, where have you been? Uh, I would highly recommend it. I've always been interested in psychology um, and how the human mind works and why we do what we do. And I've always been really interested in helping people as well and communicating. Mm. And I... I would do my public speaking and I would talk to people about my story. And right. a lot of people would often come up to me afterwards and they'd say, God, that's really helped me. And they'd share things with me that they'd say, I've never shared that with anyone in my life. And it started making me think, I wonder if I could do this on a more one-to-one -one basis. And it made me think if they can get as much out of it when it's my story and they're learning about themselves and their lives and what's been going on, imagine how much they could get if it were their own story mm. and they're learning about mm. why they do what they do. And that led me down the road of counselling. Well, I find that really interesting, Fern, too, because a lot of people will do the public speaking, as you say, you know, maybe ask to talk at a luncheon or something like that, or get hired to do so. And a lot of people like to go that route, speak to the room, and then maybe speak individually for a few minutes to the people afterward. But you're taking it that step further. So that that's, to me, a real interesting, you know, well, do I go left? Or do I go right with this and taking a, a different road that maybe some of the others would be more comfortable really doing that public talk as opposed to really being able to get to know and work with someone? Mm. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because it would you on the surface of it, it's interesting to think, oh, surely a room full of people would be scarier than one person. But actually, a lot of people find oh. it the other way around, just like you said. Yeah. So much more intimacy yeah. going on. So you love being busy, and this is a great route that you're going down. We're very excited for you. You'll keep us posted. But let's start with the basics. What is counseling and what is it not? Well, I like to think of counseling a little bit like my guide dog, Nancy, right? Okay. So bear with me. It's is it great. Counseling. But the difference is, so I best the best way to describe what it is against what it isn't, what it isn't is like somebody coming up to you in the street and just dragging you to where they think you want to go. Quite right. often, as friends and family, this is what we're doing to people. We're going, oh, you have a problem. This is what you need to do. You need to do X, Y, and Z. And you're actually, they're quite often trying to solve a problem that we don't even have in the mm. first place. They're, they're assuming a lot, they're judging, you know, they're, they're making all of these kind of snap um, decisions about what we need to do with our lives. Now, counselling, this is where Nancy, my guide dog, comes in because counselling is more guiding. So it's listening and it's building a relationship with someone and a partnership with someone where you're saying, I'm going to try and help you move towards change and move towards the things you want to move towards, but I'm going to be led by you. And, and this is going to be a thing where we're a team of two working together rather than yes. me just grabbing you and pulling you in whatever direction I think I see fit or I think that you need to go in. It's like that person who has the quick solution so they can move on to, all right, we've solved your problem. Let me tell you all about what's going on with me. Yeah. Fern, yeah. when did you start taking the counseling course and what does it all involve? Well, I started in 2019 and I have done 
two levels so far, so level two and level three, and I'm currently on the last level, which is two years long, um, and it's level four and level five. And it involves lots of learning, lots of education at college. It involves lots of essay writing, which is always, everyone loves a good essay. So fun. Oh, yes. Uh, So much fun. Um, And also it involves a lot of hands-on practical, trying it out, you know, trying different things, working with your course mates and sharing things and and also doing some personal therapy yourself. So there's lots of different elements to it, Mm. but I find it all really interesting. Great about the element of trying personal therapy yourself so you can be on the other side of it and really start to understand the connection that you talked about earlier. Will you have to do an exam or something similar to that? Thank goodness, no. I have never enjoyed exams. Um, But what we do have to do, like I say, is a lot of coursework, a lot of practice and assessments to show that we can do it. I'm actually preparing for a research presentation coming up. So, yeah, there's lots of work. But luckily, I don't have to cram a load of information into my brain and regurgitate it at a certain time, which I'm very pleased about. Nice. Uh, If everything goes when everything goes well, mm-hmm. when will you be <laughs> fully you, qualified? I will be fully qualified, hopefully, uh, in the summer of this year. So not long. Watch wow. yourselves, everyone. Wow. Look up your, your sons and daughters. I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> we should be so lucky. From what you've learned so far, Fern, what would you say are the main qualities of a good counsellor? Can you wrap it up in a box with a bow like that? Well, I would say there's, I guess there's some fundamentals that is really useful to have. So obviously a good listener, um, somebody with a lot of patience, somebody who's open-minded. And I think somebody who can bring something of themselves to the relationship, who, who can just understand that it is this relationship, this back and forth. And what I found is that when I started, it's very easy to focus on the skills, right? The, the practical stuff. I think this is very applicable to all different jobs. You know, when you start radio, you're just thinking, oh, what do I need to do and what don't I need to do? And over time, what happens is more and more of you and your personality bleeds into the work that you're doing. So you're not so much thinking about all of the practical side. Mm. You're thinking how can I be me how can I have you know all of the humor and the charm that I that I bring to this show of course and that's the intention behind of course yes I affirm that (laughs) (laughs) isn't that the part of the intention of why you went into counseling to begin with right you're like I could help in the ways that I've already been helping but I want to do it you know kind of formally now beyond formatics yeah yes and building that two-way relationship with someone so does your training involve having meetings with clients? Do you actually sit down at an appointment and and use that for building the experience? I do. I actually have to do 100 hours of placement before I can qualify. Mm. So a lot of practice. Um, yeah. I'm climbing the mountain slowly but surely. I'm halfway there. So I've done 55 hours now. Um, so I'm getting there. And it's really rewarding. Everyone always told me that this is where you learn the most because you learn things about yourself and how you behave as a counsellor. And also, of course, you're learning from all of your different clients and all of the things that they're bringing and, and, and the, the different types of people that they they are. It's just a really transformative process. Now the I'm curious. Part. Yeah, you say that they're going really well and they're very rewarding. I'm curious about how much you tell your clients about yourself. Do you talk about your disability? Do you bring that into conversation as you would in a I don't know presentation context? 
Yeah, I think, to be absolutely honest with you, Ramya, it's it has been very much like any other area of my life where I've thought, oh, what do I do about that? You know, when mm-hmm. do I disclose that? Do I say it? Don't I say it? And when I... So I do some work in person and I do some work on the phone. And for me, when I'm on the phone, I don't really have any immediate reason to, to have to disclose it. Sure. And so usually I... I just want to focus on the client because it's their time. It's not that I necessarily wouldn't if it came up and I thought it was helpful and appropriate and beneficial to the client to do that. But usually on the phone, it doesn't come up. If I'm in person, however, I feel that it would make it more about me if I didn't disclose it because I don't want my client to be sitting there not actually thinking about what they want to talk about because they're thinking why isn't she making eye contact with me? Or why right. didn't she right. see that gesture that yep. I just did? It's it's better in that respect to just disclose it and get it out of the way and not make it a big deal, but just say, hey, this is something that you should be aware of. Now let's move on to the session. Yes, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's a, a, a balance. You have your own private life, which I know you're comfortable with sharing, but what is the balance of how much since that person's there for you know to, to be guided as, as we talked about, but you certainly don't want distractions and don't want to seem close when, hey man, you know, I, I'm comfortable to share, but I want you to feel free here to open and this is your time. So has there, when it comes to any job, we always think about accessibility. Is there a problem here? What do I have to worry about? Has being blind presented any particular challenge as far as your training has been so far and any concerns there? Not really. I, when I went into it again, with as with so many other things in my life, I definitely thought, yeah, are there going to be issues here? Especially because in counselling, we think about things like visual cues, you know, the, the gestures, yes. the yeah. facial Eye expressions, contact. all of those things. Exactly. Yeah. And everyone puts a lot of emphasis on how important that is. But as all of us, you know, all of us will know, and I'm sure many of the listeners will know, actually, you can have a really deep, intimate conversation with somebody without any of those things. Mm-hmm. And I've actually been pleasantly surprised at how little it has had an effect on me or made me, you know, any less of a counsellor. I think I'm really progressing just as well as any of my course mates. So it's really nice to say that I don't really think it has had an impact on me half as much or, or at all as much as I thought it would. You know, coming from a uh, client perspective, for me, someone who has low vision, I've had sessions, counseling sessions, without any visuals. So just over the phone, holding a phone to my ear. And it has been so relaxing and relieving to a point because you're thinking, I don't have to present myself visually. I don't have to think about what they're looking at that I'm doing, you know, maybe unconsciously, but nonetheless, those are things that I get, I might get stressed out about, right? That this person is looking at how I'm looking at things or whatever. So I prefer it that way too. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. There's lots of benefits to that. Yeah. Well, when you're qualified, do you think that being blind will have an impact on the service you provide uh, for better or for worse that way? I feel like, you know, you've been having some positive reactions so far. So Mm -hmm. I... I mean, the only thing I suppose you could argue that maybe it would be easier for me if I could pick up on some of those visual mm-hmm. cues. But like I say, I think there's a way around things. And I and I guess the only other thing is using resources. You know, some counsellors will read through something with a, a client um, and that would be maybe a little bit harder for me not being able to read paperwork and things like that. But again, 
as we all know, there are so many ways around those things and we all find ways around them all of the time. And so I think actually it's not going to be a problem, but in terms of how it might actually help me, um, then I just think that as a lot of us will know as well with disabilities, you go through a lot of challenges in life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's made me very open and very empathetic to people with struggles and to, you know, to say, I know what it's like to be in a dark place and therefore I'm really willing to listen and to understand you. And, and because that's how I've always wanted to feel very much in line with what I was saying about public speaking. It's the same right. principle. Yep, for sure. Fern, we wish you luck. We're about out of time. We will talk to you in a couple of weeks on the program. Fern Lullum joins us uh, every other Thursday for UK Disability Highlights right here on the program. After a quick two-minute break, we'll be back with Bill Shackleton for the second Buzz with Bill of the Week. This is Kelly and Remya. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Thanks for spending your Thursday afternoon with us here on Kelly and Ramya. It's a pleasure always hanging out with you five days a week, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI. And of course, details on the podcast when you want to go search us up on demand will come to you throughout the show. Let's get talking to Bill Shackleton. He's a producer here at AMI, and he joins us Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays to wrap up the first hour of the show, bringing us some articles that we can flip through, chat about, um, really get arguing about sometimes as well, but not always, though he finds it entertaining. Right, Billy? He does. <laughs> he does. I try to get things that are controversial. I could tell. <clears throat> I could tell. You, mm -hmm. you always tee up something and you're like, this is a good one. And it usually yeah, and a, often <laughs> is. <laughs> and if we disappoint him, you almost hear it. All right, Bill, yeah. what's your next one? Yeah, well, let's uh, move on. Well. Yeah, exactly. yeah, let's, just, let's just move on. So what's the first one today? No Actually, pressure, Actually, we have two, two related articles about travel and accessibility. And I want to thank Brock Richardson for giving us these two stories. They're from a organization called Euro News, which is, to me, a new source. And the first article is Tourism, Why This Blind, This Braille Railing in Naples Has Gone Viral. Interesting mm -hmm. story about St. Elmo's Castle Now, when, in, in, in Naples. When you go there, you have a, a, basically a majestic view of Mount Vesuvius. Mm -hmm. And there's a 92-foot rail going along, um, you know, the edge of the, of one of the one of the castle, and it is braille. And what it has, mm. it it has a, um, the a, the a mural of, uh, an Italian artist, Giuseppe De Lorenzo's book the land and the man and it's verses it's it's sort of verses that you can read as a as a vision paired person um i think Along it's that railing 92 feet wow that is really uh, amazing well and and it is and i think when you're asking when you talk about why it went viral there's a couple of things first of all um there's a lot of tourism sites that isn't that aren't accessible to us or to anybody um, the second reason is that when you, I mean, so much of the information we assimilate 
is on packages, um, which is fine. We need that information. But how much information is about um, an actual person or about about a site, about the general site that you're in? And -hmm. I think that's why it's gone viral. Um, A lot of people see a lot of people see tourism is black and white, either it's accessible or it's not. And of course, we know that's not it's some of the sites are more accessible than others for different people. Yeah. And plus, how much do we retain, right? Like, I've always had this issue when I, uh, it's fun while you're there, or it's interesting, it's captivating, and then later on, I don't remember a thing. But this, you're making it part of the experience. When I, I always believe in reading Braille, you retain more. So I think in that that, that aspect, you, you gain perhaps more. I think so. Do you get frustrated, though, because... And I, and I think it's something of our nature, um, especially the older people uh, in the sense who have lived and not had some of these things available to us where a younger person may say, wow, well, I've been to a few places they are accessible in one way or another, or I've had Braille to read. But I still get on that side of, hmm, I wonder if this Braille is telling me about everything there is to know about this installation this display this this base or whatever it might be you always feel like yeah it's probably shortened you know <laughs> because braille takes up more space Maybe. than than what print so you stop and think well what is he getting over there that i'm not being able to read it in print the question uh, of, i still like, is catch there myself enough? with that yeah is yeah. there enough but then again there's still at least more than there was 10 years ago mm-hmm. 20 years ago 100 years ago accessible to me if i'm a braille reader the the actual site is the, the 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 braille does not describe the scenic view in this case right, it's no. just no. it's just um and you wonder i would like to have the scenic view but they but for some reason they think that that, that, that they didn't do that and should they have or should they not have i don't know i i think for some people it means nothing to but others it does if you've been able to see which we know according to statistics more persons who are classes uh low vision or blind have have some usable vision to some mm-hmm. sort so maybe they can imagine they can depict they remember their colors or whatever it might be so i think a lot would would opt for like you, Bill, a description of. I mean, the reading's nice, the work yeah. itself, and what a cool installation, but that to me is more what it is. It's a neat installation to sit, read, to see that somebody did. Am I going to stand there and read 92 feet of Braille? Pro- probably not. No, but nonetheless, like if you're, you know, walking uh, 100 feet or experience that 92 feet of Braille, you're getting like a, a tactile experience, right? It's more you of a are. three-dimensional experience than reading about something because I could do that at home. And I think that it's just well, one extra layer of putting something in that people could say, oh, yeah, I can understand this more. And and also, what did you say, Bill, right from the start? It's gone viral. So what yes. is this doing, whether it's for Braille, whether it's a, the uniqueness of it, or just informing people of it out there, it's letting someone else know who's right now listening to us saying, well, I think that's pretty cool, mm. because they don't have the experience of Braille in any capacity or nothing to relate to it. So for them, this is a really interesting educational thing, not all about accessibility or disability. It's, wow, that's neat. I want to touch that. And that's really cool thing. Um, next article, though, is definitely more about accessibility. How ancient Rome ruins can teach the modern world about accessible travel. Okay. Again, from Mural News. So 
there's a Colosseum in um, in Rome, and when you go in there, you see the columns and you see the um, the catacombs, which is what you would expect to see. But mm-hmm. the one thing you did not expect to see if you went is a chairlift. Oh, and, wow! And that is really and and the chairlift is taking people to the top of the of the actual Colosseum, and this is where you know, the modern world as you, you know, the accessible travel thing comes in. When you think of a, of an ancient, like so much of the, the ancient sites or whatever are, is not accessible at all, but to think that you would put a wheelchair in a Coliseum, I mean, <laughs> talk about being at the forefront of, of you yeah. know, this type of thing. My friend who is a uh, very frequent traveler and loves visiting historic sites, and he's completely, totally blind, um, loves to pick out these kind of nuggets of uh, pieces of things that are going on where, you know, something is completely inaccessible. You can't even use the stairs, but there's this tiny little bit of accessibility that they've put in uh, into the ancient elevator, uh, you know. It's all very interesting to me when we can pull out these pieces of history and say, this existed a long time ago, and then to fast forward to today and say, but we're having so many issues with it right now. But you know what people would say, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, There must have been some very well-off individuals or government official that needed that lift. Exactly. And And so what? Even to that, I say— Exactly, long as the regular people could use it, but mostly they were thinking accessibility for this person. They they thought outside the box, even at that time, to say, okay, how are we going to get them up there, Right. Bill, Kelly, t- grab onto that rope and lift. Pull. Pulley <laughs> system, right, you, Billy? <laughs> I'll tell you about the, 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 one of the ero- most ironic things about this article is in ancient Rome, people with disabilities were treated, they were stoned to death, they were shunned. Mm. You never saw them. Yes. Mind you, in, in war, they were honored. And what would their ancestors think? They would roll over in their grave if they showed up at this castle today and found people with disabilities in it, plus a plus a chairlift, right? I mean, yeah. can you imagine yeah. what they would have? Yeah, you know. Yeah, people well, have and, to and endure. I... It's it's so similar to what you were saying earlier, Kelly, and from the other article. Like people have had to endure decades and centuries of inaccessibility, and you know, never could even dream of what we have today. So, in so many ways, we feel privileged to be living in this time. Well, your friend that oh, travels absolutely. and being able to actually go in and take these things in where before it was a picture book with, yeah. with, with descriptions that people got and you lived through what people had told you if you were low vision or blind uh, or it certainly you needed to be able to go. So, so many people don't have that person to travel with, right? And if they have a partner, you know, that they at least enjoy experiences with, that's great. But a lot of people who would like to travel, who have the means don't because, well, man, I'm on my own and I don't really know where to go to make sure I'll get assistance. I don't want to spend the money, go to Rome and find out you can't come into the Coliseum. Sorry. Right. I think this is a conversation where, um, I mean, advocates have been saying that the travel is not that accessible all the time. And maybe mm. the more these things become accessible and the more they, they go viral, it's going to make people stand up and, and yeah. you know, and, and take note and maybe maybe we'll get no, you know, we're not perfect yet, but we are starting in, in the right direction. Oh, yeah. Well, Everything is another way. Just, 
Accessibility just requires open minds. Sorry, Ram, exactly. No, and I was just going to say a liner as well. Everything is a, another way to educate, right? No matter if we're into it or not, it's somebody out there is learning something. Billy, we have a couple more minutes. You want to squeeze one in? Well, we can. Um, U.S. official warns of risks posed by heavy electric vehicles. This is um, from Associated Press. And I must, first of all, you can't win with these articles. So basically, an official from the U.S. Transportation Board is actually warning, um, they, she, they made a speech, and they basically are, are concerned about um, the potential of accidents when a heavy electric vehicle um, hits um, like a normal combustion vehicle. I'm going to uh. throw um, I'm going to throw some numbers at you. So an electric Hummer weighs nine thousand pounds. The battery pack alone is two thousand nine hundred pounds, which is the weight oh. of a Honda Civic. A Civic. Wow. Um, so I mean, I get the concern, um, but I mean, where's the evidence that there is that there's this is going to be a problem? If she is this official is warning of a potential problem, which may occur or may not. Mm. And it's mm. certainly it'll take its toll on roads. That's for sure. Yeah, with that, that many, as time goes on, the weight of the vehicles. But time will change too with the way we build roads. Well, and and it's like, yeah. What? So we're we're we want to use these electric vehicles, and now we're saying that they could be a pose a, a pose a problem. Um. So I don't know where you, you. As I say, you can't you can't you can't win. The problem with the with the is the battery packs are so heavy. There are manufacturers that are starting to, you know, put more power and less in, in, in so they can be lighter. But for now, yeah. I don't know if this is going yeah. to be a concern or whether it's well, just. It's tricky, Bill, also, because we want that for the environment. We also know batteries are going to be a little more dangerous at the moment until that technology sure. gets dealt with. The weight of them, we're looking at what that does, but we all want to be able to charge it as infrequent as possible so there's got to be a way down the road as there was with the combustion engine to kind of meet mm -hmm. in the middle but it's going to take time development and and i think that's the efforts Ramya, that we need to see yeah definitely and also it's, i'm just going back to like the forewarning of a problem i'm not sure if that's productive at all like you know i don't know either yeah it's one thing if it's backed by um the kind of evidence that we need evidence. to say either Where pull them it? on or not yeah exactly pull them off the roads or not but just to be like you know be warned this may happen is just it, it doesn't really leave it's any. not yeah that sounds kind of strange okay billy we're wrapping it up thank you so much we'll catch you tomorrow Thanks a lot. Bill Shackleton joining us for The Buzz, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, to wrap up the first hour. And as we go into the second hour, here's some things that are coming up. We're talking accessible gaming with me. I have some demonstrations and samples of things that you can buy in your own homes to make gaming accessible for you and your people. Roundtable, weekly roundtable is back. John Melville is our guest, the vice president of uh, programming at AMI. And after the break, we're talking about what's trending in food and beverage what's trending as of now in 2023 that's with mary mamaliti of kitchen confession we'll be right back keep it here for more of kelly and ramya on ami tv Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. 
Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.